Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We've got a full house today for our chat about the Tour de Suisse and the 2022 World Tour calendar. Gracie Elvin is here. Gracie, hello. G'day, g'day. Hopefully next time I get to say bonjour from France. Very exciting. Very, very <laughs> exciting. When do you fly over here? Uh, on the weekend. Wow. Coming up quick. Yeah. First time in Europe since 2020. So pretty excited. That's awesome. Well, we're really excited to have you, although we probably won't have you on the podcast for a while because you're you're going to be very busy, but Probably we'll try to, try to track you down. <laughs> Amy Lauren Jones. Hello. You look very, like, serious this morning. Like, you look like you're about to reprimand everybody. She's got a teacher look on this morning. Yeah. Yeah, oh I don't God. know. It can't be the glasses because, like, I've seen you wear glasses before, but it's the way know. in which you're holding your hand and... Really? I think maybe I'm just, it's early, man. It's early. I'm That's tired. true. It's even earlier for Tilda. Yeah, she all right. also here. <laughs> yes, I am okay. Back from a three-day excursion seeing Harry Styles. So I had to binge watch all of the Tour de Suisse yesterday. Very oh fun. my God. <laughs> I can't believe you saw Harry Styles. <laughs> I'm so excited I. for you. <laughs> That's so cool. Oh, I love Harry Styles. Me too feel very basic, but he's amazing. <laughs> and Lauren Rowney. Hello. Good morning. Well, on that note, Abby, I reckon um, you've probably thought this too, Gracie. Nettie Evans's brother looks pretty similar to Harry Styles. There's a bit of a Harry Styles look going on there. There were comparisons made years ago, so you could just... It. You don't yeah. see it? Young Edmo was a very good doppelganger for Harry. I think mm-hmm. even now he still is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Do you guys know Larry <laughs> Warbass, the American? Mm-hmm. He looks exactly like Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nathan like Haas image. looks like um, Elijah I, Wood. I see it, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> Can we do an entire doppelganger episode? <laughs> <laughs> I got told on the weekend when I was in Ireland I looked like an Irish boxer. This drunk in a bar came up to me and asked. He's like, you're not can't think of her name now. And I was like, I'm definitely not. Oh, there's a really take- famous one, isn't there? Yeah. I was like, that's a compliment after I Googled her. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, let's talk about bike racing. We had the Tour de Suisse over the weekend slash Monday, Tuesday, which is why this episode is coming at you later in the week because we wanted to get the full Tour de Suisse before we chatted about the race. And holy moly, was it an exciting one. Uh, the race overall was won by Lucinda Brand, but it was another really, really close battle between her and Kristen Faulkner with uh, Paulina Rackus really putting in a good fight as well and uh, Canyon, Canyon Sram. So let's talk about it. I've, I think we should start with the beginning because the first stage was really short, 44.7K, 45K long, a very, very short, maybe a little longer, 47? No, it's fine. Short stage that started 7.30 p.m., which was an interesting decision uh, from the race organizers. But it was circuits of a technical hilly course, and that meant that it was a very exciting opener to the race with Lucinda Brand, Clara Kopenberg, and Polina Barakas breaking away on the fourth lap and staying away to the finish, which set up the general classification battle pretty nicely for the rest of the week. I open the floor to discussion. Where to start? Well, I think one of the commentators said it was going to be easily a sprint finish, but when you looked at the course, I was like, I don't know, this is going to be quite a challenging course to start off with. Um, It was pretty much a commess, the course. Um, And actually, I think there was some criticism beforehand because of, one, the time and also how short it was, but I actually enjoyed watching it, to be honest. Um, it was definitely quite late in the evening. It looked like it was hot in Switzerland that day too. Um, and I'm guessing that it ran later because of the men's stage or something like that. Is that right? I don't know, but I, I mean, it was like hours and hours after the men's stages had finished and it, it was quite hot 
all weekend. Um, like they had the route to Octane. I can't pronounce properly that they shortened to like 34 K because of the heat. Um, but they wouldn't obviously wouldn't have been able to predict that we had unprecedented heat in Europe this weekend when they made the plan. But it was really interesting that it was so late because I mean, broadcast wise, that's like, it's a Saturday night. So who's sitting at home at seven 30 on a Saturday night? Like, Oh, I'm going to watch a women's bike race. I mean me, but like, I don't think many other people are doing that. And for the U S it's also like a terrible time. It's like when everybody's kind of getting out to actually do stuff during the day. And then for Australia, I think it's still like a little bit too, too early. early. Yeah. So it was like such a weird, it was such a weird time. Anyway, if any, sorry about the audio, I'm like rocking a baby. Um, but yeah, it was such a weird time to have the race. I just really didn't understand the short, the shortness of the race I thought was pretty exciting because it mm. made for a really exciting day. But for the timing, I just, I didn't understand that at all. And who would have thought that that stage would actually play into what we'll get late, um, into later, the, the final GC outcome. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was exciting. I mean, we had attacks from Clara Copenberg was, I think the first one of that group to kind of make a move. And then it was on a climb on the course. So she started kind of getting the tempo going, had some, had some splits going in the Peloton. And then when Paulina Rarakis went, it was, they, they rode away quite easily and brand ended up bridging to them, um, after they'd gotten a little bit of a gap. And then, yeah, the, the three of them worked really well together. And I think of the three of them, of course, brand was going to take it in the end. Um, she's, she's definitely got a faster kick on her when it came to the finish. Yeah, and I think they were kind of lucky to have Brand with them. I think if she hadn't bridged across, obviously Royakas and Koppenberg are more climbers than Brand is. Um, well, maybe stage four changes our mind on that. But yeah, it then became a really strong group and it stayed away for a, a very long time and perhaps longer than some people were expecting. So yeah, it was interesting that they all worked together knowing that Brand probably had that that sprint in the end I know there was the climb so maybe they thought they had a chance there but also as you say on a stage that could have been everyone finished on the same time there was a big chance to take um GC time there and with only four days and although there was a time trial and the climbing and everything it was it was good to see people taking every opportunity they could to take that time and not um not just letting it go to to a sprint on a circuit that you might have expected I think the circuit also meant that there wasn't a lot of um, opportunity for Chase to organize once the three of them had got a gap. Like there was already so many splits in the Peloton at that point that there wasn't really a team that could chase, that could organize and chase them down. There was like groups just fractured behind them on the course, which meant that there wasn't a lot of, yeah, wasn't a lot of motivation to chase from behind. Yeah, for only 45 kilometers, it must have been a really hard race. Like, I think it was quite warm even at that time of evening. And for no one to jump with Lucinda when she tried, like, got across to those two leaders, I think that just tells us that everyone was pretty much on the limit and <laughs> it would have been a tough opener for the tour. But, like, Brand just put on a a masterclass of how to win a tour by skill <laughs> and by racecraft, not just by ability. And I, I agree with Matilda, like it's cool to see that riders were really trying to take time where they could rather than wait for the traditional decisive moments like the bigger climbs later in the tour. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I think like for stage two, we, there wasn't a ton of, G, uh, there wasn't a ton of time trial specialists in the race that I think people would have been like, oh, we have to take time before the time trial on stage two, because I don't think I would have predicted Faulkner to win the time trial on stage two. Um, that was, I mean, she's obviously incredibly strong, so a time trial plays into her strengths. But um, in terms of taking time ahead of the time trial, uh, I don't, I don't know if that would have been top of people's minds. I think everyone was just racing their bikes. Which is great. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon that Lucinda was underestimated. She, I don't think she was fully considered as a GC rider. And, but that being said, the other two, Royakas and um, 
Koppenberg, they are GC threats. So they shouldn't have been let up the road without other GC riders with them. And Lucinda was the one that capitalised on that and she was in much better form than probably people thought. Um, but she ha- she has climbed well in the past, so it's not really a surprise either. Like she was, you know, one of the few pushing Annemiek van Vluten a few years ago when she won the Giro for the first, when Annemiek won the Giro for the first time. So, like, she has climbed well in the past. So it's not like this tour was outside of her sphere of abilities and it wasn't like Trek had another clear GC rider. Like, Lucinda probably, if you looked at their start list on paper, you'd go, well, they're probably going to ride for her. Or go for the the stage victories with Balsamo. Um, but yeah, you're 100% correct. I wouldn't have picked her at the start. I think eyes were probably on Roy Ackers mostly for this week, just based on her performance in May. Um, I guess we're getting to the final stage, but yeah, that, that was quite interesting. I don't want to go into that and jump ahead. Yeah. As far as like stage one, I think we've covered, covered it. Stage two, the time trial, I don't have a ton to say about it, except that it was, Impressive that Bike Exchange went one, two, three on the day with mm. Georgia Baker and Georgia Williams, second and third. Other way around, but yeah. That was a huge ride by um, Georgia Baker. And even Lucinda coming in fourth. Again, she, I think, like Gracie mentioned, people underestimate her ability to to ride for GC, but um, that was an impressive ride. And shout out to Georgia Williams. Like she was only 14 seconds off, I think, roughly her teammate Faulkner, but George has had some pretty big lows the last few years and she's been working really hard to get back that consistency and to see her time trial so well was awesome, but she's also been doing road racing awesome for the team in the last couple of months, so it's nice to see her rewarded for that. My internet just cut out. Does anyone mention Yolanda Neff in the time trial? No, not yet, but I did. Uh, I liked her bike. He was riding the Olympic track, which is just like one of the best paint schemes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I just think it's really impressive that she just like hopped on a time trial bike and did. I actually can't remember where she came now, but she did pretty well. Top, she 10. top 10. Yeah, yeah. yeah top six 10. or something. I loved her interview. She was actually like a bit nervous and scared of the time trial because I, I guess she doesn't have that much experience experience with it well, I don't know if she's ever done one I mean her road race results was what stands out to me because she's gotten some really top results before I think she got second one year in um Binder Binder which was really cool um but yeah she was really surprised by how she went and she was just having a lot of fun that week I think it's worth mentioning how well the Swiss team rode because I think were there a few mountain bikers in that team with her or she just said in general yeah. They were all super inexperienced with the road and it was a big learning opportunity for them all. But um, they were in the mix the whole time, in breaks, um, having a crack. And um, obviously her descending skills were were <laughs> very impressive on, on the final stage, which we can talk about. I thought actually um, it was interesting looking at those first two stages. And even like the course, it was it was they were good stages for mountain bikers in that they weren't super long efforts. Even the first stage, you know, you've got less than two hours of racing and that really suits those riders who are used to um, less of an endurance race and more of, yeah, 90 minutes of racing. Um, I, yeah, I wonder if that was a consideration for the um, the organisers because obviously if you look at Swiss cycling now, you've got you've got riders like Marlon Russo and Elise Chabet now, but really the headliners of cycling in Switzerland are people like... Yolanda Neff and so making a race that not only she can come to but also suits her abilities a little bit more than kind of four 120 kilometer long road stages um might be a consideration and it was really nice to see her there and actually in the mix not just riding it for the sake of riding it yeah I mean they swept the podium at the Olympics and her face is on biscuits right Tilda or something (laughs) yeah her face is on biscuits that's a fun fact I think she's the only I think there is another cyclist, but a male cyclist on this big biscuit brand who sponsor um, Roland Cajas Edelweiss. That's why I know that. I don't just know the ins and outs of Swiss biscuits. So, yeah. The what, the funny thing about Yolanda Neff is every time she's like brought up or anything, my mom just remembers the Three Bears commercial with the... Oh, my God. <laughs> the, <laughs> when they announced the new Trek 
Yeah. Uh, I can't remember wh- what it's called. Caliber, maybe? It was, it's like the one that's like basically a hard tail, but also full suspension. Um, and she does like a three bears thing. We, Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. It was such a good commercial. It was so good. And my mom just like, my mom was like, I want the Yolanda Neff bike. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, they did. And they were also really aggressive all the whole race, the the Swiss team. I mean, they were, they were always attacking and up in moves and everything. So it was really good to see. I'm actually really surprised that Canyon's Ram didn't start Elise Shabby for the race. I guess she's got bigger targets on the horizon. She's got bigger fish to fry. Yes. Speaking of fry, shout out to Cena Fry. She was doing well. She was. <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> Great segue. <laughs> it just came to me, top of my head. I was I'm trying to think of something punny and I just couldn't. Mm. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Tracy, the queen of puns. So stage three, stage three was, um, came down to a reduced bunch sprint with 23 riders and Balsamo taking the win for Trek's second win of the race. Uh, a bunch of the work was done by DSM that day to set up Leanna Lippert for, there was like a final kind of not a, it was in a hilltop. It was kind of just like a, a punchy, punchy steep climb to the finish. Um, but unfortunately Lippert crashed leading into the finish. And so they, all of their work was for not, But for me, the really impressive ride on the day, I mean, besides Balsamo, because I think we've kind of put her in the camp of being a sprinter and she really proved us wrong on this race, um, that she can climb quite well. But Avita Music also had a really impressive ride. I think that she's had a lot of pressure put on her, maybe by the team, um, to be a leader and a standout rider. And she's still so young, but she's never had a super significant result other than that Giro stage in 2020. Um, and, and so to see her finish second behind some pretty strong riders in, in front of some pretty strong riders was really impressive. She almost got it there. I was like super impressed how she, she had Balsamo on the barrier, but of course with her track background, she managed to just nudge her out and get through. Um, but she gave it to her. Um, which was really fun to see. I was confused about the last few kilometres um, with the crashing, not sure what happened there. Hoffidus Rider went down and then Lippa, but actually that was quite impressive by Lippa because she she managed to chase back and then mm. still run third. Like that's, yeah. Did she chase back or was she helped back quite? Ooh. Wasn't it her know on that the we don't the know. Did they not show it? Wasn't that her? Sat on the, t- the car for ages. I can't remember. Oh. I know her teammate went she, back for her as well. She fully, got, she fully got dragged up by the car. I'm sure hmm. she did. Hmm. Maybe she got regulated because then all of a sudden she was behind again. I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. There were weird crashes though. It was Rachel Nalen that went down first and it mm. just looked like a touch of wheels and then like before a roundabout and then after that roundabout, that was when Lippet went down and it must have been the same. And I guess when everyone's kind of just on that limit because of that, like it looked like it had been a false flat and slightly mm. dragging up for a long time and everyone's just in that really uncomfortable zone and probably a lot of people are in the red and they're just people not, not quite holding their lines and stuff. So I've seen that happen before, but it, it was weird for sure. Watching the finish back, it was quite like, RG bargy. There was a lot of elbows being thrown and especially on that climb. And after kind of when it flattened out a little bit, uh, near the top, there was like a couple riders that got shoved off the road into the, into the side. When I watched it back this morning, it was also interesting to me that Canyon Stram did so much work, um, to try to get as much space between Ryakas and and Faulkner as they possibly could going for like extra seconds at that point. Um, and if you, if you watch the finish back, there was a reduced group and Faulkner was on the back all, all, all the time. Like she was, but every time she tried to move up there, were, there was always somebody that would just cut her off, which is bike racing. But I mean, it's just, I don't think we should give her any more of a hard time than we did last week, but kind of goes back to that. Anyway, we'll talk about her in a second and that'll probably come up again. (laughs) But 
but yeah, positioning on that climb made like a huge difference. Just for this whole tour, I think, and that's probably what we're going to talk about towards the end is the fact that where she actually lost this race. Mm, yeah. um, there are a few points. I think actually the way that the end of that stage panned out um, also did have an effect on the next day because a lot of the riders in their pre-race interviews were saying, well, Kristen didn't really have any teammates and she wasn't really in it yesterday, so we're not really worried about her very much. Um, and yeah, maybe they were wrong to think that because obviously the way the stage pan- panned out. But I think, yeah, when you kind of show your team's it's not a weakness because she had a, a great um, race, but kind of blank spots where they can't maybe control as much as other teams can and, and riders see that and think, okay, that's where I can I can take advantage of that because she will be there, but she won't have the teammates that I'll have or something like that. So I think, yeah, you kind of have to try and, even if you are isolated by yourself, if you're at the back, you look even more vulnerable to your competitors. She was quite isolated in the end, which I was actually kind of surprised by, um, given that it wasn't an incredibly hard race. Although I guess you could say with the time splits and the, the small groups that it was harder than it seemed. Well, going into the final day, uh, Faulkner was leading with Brand only four seconds down on the general classification. And this day was so epic. I mean, I said it on Twitter, but I think epic is like an overused word that I don't love very much. Uh, But it was, oh my gosh, it was just such an incredible day and compounded with rain in the final and just like, it was like the, the earth cracked open and the fight for the general classification was incredible. Brand went on the attack with Yolanda Neff and it was interesting to me that they really picked instead of attacking on a climb or attacking on the flats, Eliza Balsamo set them up well, set up Brand, which we can talk about the Yolanda Neff and Brand situation because <laughs> I think it's super interesting, but set up Brand to attack on a descent because that's where we know that both Kristen Faulkner and Paulina are at their weakest is on a descent, especially a wet descent because those two are not the best handlers in the Peloton. So Brand had a sizable gap, a relatively sizable gap leading into the final climb, which was really long. And she just rode her own pace up the whole climb and was finally caught by uh, Kristen Faulkner, who had an incredible ride on this climb to drop a lot of pure climbers that, well, pure, quote unquote, pure climbers on the climb and uh, catch Brand with 1.3 kilometers to go. And then going into the final couple turns, Brand set up the final corner perfectly and Faulkner kind of went in straight and crashed in the final corner. And so Brand took the stage win and the general classification. And Lauren's shaking her head (laughs) and rolling her eyes. (laughs) I mean, it's not, it's... It's like not funny because it's not how you want a race to end. Like that is not how I want a general classification to be won. But it, but we gave her such a hard time last week for like not being able to handle a bike and then this happens. And so it's just kind of like, oh man. <laughs> I mean, of course the road was wet, so it was slick. But at the same time, if you watch how she set up that corner, like she went into the corner like straight. It's like she on the inside. Wait, yeah, guys, can we just unpack though the final kilometers? C- correct me if I'm wrong, but when she was she was coming up fast on Brand, so you would have thought like Brand was way in the deep. It was an incredible climb um, from her, but why did she just roll straight through and start pulling her? Wouldn't you have attacked her straight away? At least had a crack? absolutely. Yeah, like, um, that like was, attack that over was the top of her. Mistake number one. Even my partner was sitting there going, "Like this girl, she, she's flying. She's flying, Lauren. She's gonna surely she's gonna attack um, Lucinda now." And then he just looked at me and went, "What the? Is this normal?" And I'm like, "Let's just see what happens, Hannes." But no, 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 that's not what you do. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Lauren's worked up. That corner was wow, though. Like, but you, like you, you, you saw Lucinda go out to take the apex, and because Kristen's just like, yeah, let me just go on the inside and go straight around this like sweeping bend, and obviously it's wet. She's gonna, and she crashes a lot, 
I think actually literally seconds before it happened, I was like, she crashes a lot, this girl, <laughs> literally. But, and also just the fact, like, if you're pulling Lucinda, if Lucinda had, yeah, say they had come to the line together, Lucinda would have won that finish anyway. Um, mm, yeah, I suppose so. I, I feel she would have. I mean, it, it was looking like that before um, Faulkner crashed. I mean, she was gapping her. Um, you just so she would have, yeah. She just used him, like, far superior technical skills the whole time. Like to like on the descent as well to get that gap. Like she sort of saved herself having to be on the back foot, which Faulkner was, but like bloody hell, she pulled the way she pulled that back was like insane. Incredible. She's yeah. got an incredible engine, there's no doubt. Her time trial was phenomenal. Mm. Um and she's just, just strong, the fact but- she was pulling, she had no teammates, so she was the one actually chasing them back. So before she even hit that climb to do a maximal effort, she was already um, on the gas. So Yeah, canyons, there was multiple canyon ram riders in there, but they really left it up to Faulkner to, pa- to pull until they were on the base of the climb, and then they did a little bit of work to set up Ruckus for an attack. But yeah, Faulkner did so much work to, to bring the gap down which a gap that Yolanda and Brand got on the descent. I mean, like Lauren mentioned it already, but Brand is one of the best descenders in the peloton and Yolanda put her to shame. <laughs> like it was so impressive it was watching so Yolanda much fun to watch. It was oh my so gosh. Oh, it was like I, unreal. I didn't worry when I watch Yolanda because she literally just sends it. Whereas, like, Lucinda has proper skills and she knows exactly what she's doing. Yolanda just, like, flirts with danger and mm. just the way she, she is absolutely that, brilliant on a mountain it. bike. But it's so different on a road bike and I'm always like, she just doesn't, I hope she knows where the line is on a road bike because I know she knows it on a mountain bike because I've seen a lot of mountain bikers crash on the mm. road and that whole descent, I was loving it, but also like, oh, my God. <laughs> I love um, at that moment where she's like ushering Lucinda forward because she gapped her and she's like, come on. Hilda's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. got some theories about the difference between no, nope. she's like, no, not I've been me. told I'm very wrong about this, so I'm not oh, really. Yeah, apparently. Well, Who says? Says the Twitterati. But I know I am coming at it from I. I watch more downhill than cross country. But like, it is different descending on a road and descending on a road bike. Like, there are some things that obviously help, and obviously the confidence. And as Grace said, just like the idea of just sending it. But navigating roots and mud and a 50 degree um, incline in a mountain bike race. It's, it's really different from going down a road. Well, weight and, distribution is completely yeah. different on a mountain bike. Like how I you- think I've got a resident think, expert over here, but he's looking very serious with his <laughs> headphones in, so I won't. Well, also, Grace is our, our mountain bike expert yeah. for freewheeling. That is true. What I was going to say as well, the, the thing with Yolanda is that like she lives really close to there. Like a lot of the part of what what that is is that she's probably descending that road a lot of times. She's if, whenever she's on her road bike in Switzerland, she's going up and down climbs like that every day, mm. and so that is also a big part of it as well as being a mountain biker. And the commentary and Twitter sitting there being like, "Well, it's all because she's a mountain biker." It's like, well, that is some of it, yeah, but also. No, I, that's what I was going to say. I, like, those are her home roads, so I think that she would have been really excited to have a closed road that she's ridden a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And now now it's closed to cars, so she can, like, really go after it. It's like, kind it's of like the impression I got. And it was closed, yeah. she'd be fucking ripping. Exactly. Or, or in fairness as well, like, mountain bikers train on the road a lot, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, they, well, like, was, they know how to ride a road that- bike. Her and uh, Lucinda and Yolanda must have had a lot of fun on team camp whenever Yolanda gets to go in between her mountain bike schedules to the trek camps because I've seen that she's been on some of them. And in, in, in the past, Lauren can speak to this as well. We used to have a lot of fun on team camps mm-hmm. descending, but I can only imagine what those two got up to with everyone else shaking their heads behind. <laughs> this is what, so this is what I think is really interesting is like – Trek basically had another teammate in like, I I'm so curious if they, they had planned this in advance because 
of course they know how Trek Segafredo would have known how good of a descender Yolanda is. And they would have known like, this is where we're going to win the race if we're going to try on this descent. And so I'm so curious if there was like some texting going back and forth the night before, like, Hey, we have this idea. What do you think? Like you can have the stage win. We'll take the GC. And it didn't end up going that way because brand out climbed uh yolanda but like yeah they they basically had like a secret a secret track segafredo teammate in there i would love to believe that (laughs) yeah i think it's pretty plausible there's a good chance that happened i'm actually surprised that yolanda didn't climb as well i thought Mm. that she would be you know relatively matched with lucinda on the climb as well i feel like that the that's just saying or what we can take away from that is that brand is climbing quite well right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like which tour is, which tour is she lined up for Jira or Tour de France? I don't know. I mean, I think with this is kind of her, I think she would probably be doing the Giro cause I know Balsamo is doing the Giro. So maybe this team that they sent to tour de Swiss is, is kind of their, Mm-hmm. made up of a lot of their Giro riders it would is. be my assumption. Amy is nodding. Back checker, Amy. Um, because like Gracie mentioned, I I've, I remember from racing the Giro, some, some of the stages Lucinda won there. It was incredible. She won stages um, through descending, just basically out descending um, her breakaway companions. And then also she's won stages uh, finishing on climbs. So... She's looking good for the Giro to rack up um, some stage wins, I would say, there, and potentially a high GC finish. I mean, Lizzie Dignan finished, what, fifth in the Giro last year, was it? And you wouldn't have picked Lizzie years ago, I guess, to finish so high in such a long stage race. Yeah. Be strong. I mean, strong. They, they need somebody to kind of step step it up Trek Segafredo for like these longer climb climby races. And, and like we talked about last week with the, the women's tour and Tilda pointed out that Elisa was a perfect rider to win a race like that. And going into the bigger, the two bigger races, there's more climbing. So I was saying it's going to be interesting to see like how Trek Segafredo goes at it, but clearly with brand and with some choice tactical decisions and, and with Elisa as well, they, uh, Longo Borghini, not Balsamo. Although Balsamo really set up that, uh, those two for the, for the <laughs> descent breakaway. Oh, are you pooping? Aww. Possible. <laughs> I love baby sounds. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, they've, they've got more cards to play than I would have imagined going into the, the Giro and the tour. Mm-hmm. FDJ is an interesting one with this too. Now we've got free Neve. I would like free Brody, please, as the next I one. Almost tweeted that yesterday. I mean, she finished oh, so yes. well. Honorable mention to Brody Chapman and her her ride in the last stage in particular. And she would have been riding the entire race for Evita. So huh? to finish so high in the general classification, I mean, she also had quite a good time trial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hashtag free Brody. <laughs> we can make it a thing if she doesn't go to the tour uh, that would be a travesty do we have start list for the Giro yet or it's not complete huh uh, I think, actually a, I think she's going to the Giro so maybe not um, she's on the Commonwealth Games team as well so I don't think all the Com Games athletes are doing the Tour de France it really depends it's the week what, after yeah but if she gets a spot in the time trial um, or oh, it's the oh, fourth. Yeah. I don't know. So it depends. She's Since putting you her hand up. The Commonwealth Games, and I have a baby strapped to me right now. I am just in awe of Eleanor Barker. Yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. God. It's crazy. Wait, is she racing at the Commonwealth Games? Yeah. yeah. What? Apparently, I think she's ri- she's she's down to race this weekend at nationals as well. Um, as Abby was sitting here off. Um, offline before the show saying exercise what is that and no i I mean i don't know how she has the time like i'm so impressed i mean she went to team camp with the baby which uno x incredible that they were like yeah bring your husband and your baby to team camp 
But like she posted on her Instagram about going to team camp with the baby and like all of the teammates holding the baby and stuff, which I mean, it's just like, it's so cool. I love to see it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and I didn't realize just going off topic here. Sorry, listeners. Lizzie Dignan actually breastfed for six months, which I think is incredible because yeah, breastfeeding can have its challenges and to train and breastfeed is, is amazing. So women are amazing. Oh, oh my God. I'm, I'm just like, I'm so impressed. It's just awesome that they're given the opportunity now to choose, like to, for for some women, it's personally, it wouldn't work for them to keep up doing elite sport and to have a baby. And for others, it does work and they, they can make it work and they've got good support. And it's so great that they have the choice now and there's maternity clauses in the writer's contracts. It's just such a huge change. And for me personally, I don't have kids at the moment. And all through my career, I was always thinking, you know, like it's, it's the thing you do after you retire, but watching all these women successfully do it, like I'm not racing anymore, but I would have considered it if I still was racing now because they make it look like it's possible. I'm sure it's super hard, but it's possible. Mm, mm. I just, yeah, I'm so inspired by by these women, all athletes that manage to have kids and continue to do sport. Um, working full time and having a child is hard enough, but the physical demands of being an athlete and then trying to to be a mother um, or a father is, yeah, incredible. You've got to have like really, really good support from your partner or or like the people around you. It takes well. a village. Yeah, definitely. That's the th- yeah, no one's doing this in isolation. That's the thing. It's like this, and the no. team support as well is really important. Mm-hmm. giving people like the space to and the choice to do it because also like it probably doesn't I mean I don't know but I'm sure it isn't it doesn't work for everyone as well and like oh. see when you see these people it's kind of that what they're doing is like really impressive but that's what works for them and it's mm-hmm. not for something that everybody should feel like they have to do Valid point. Very good <laughs> point to make that. <laughs> That's what I say to make myself feel better as well all the time. So I'm like, if I had a baby, I'd just simply not do anything else outside <laughs> of that. I'd just be like, this is hard enough. See you later. It is yeah, hard. Like it's yeah. a, a success if I manage to get out for a run in the morning. It's like if I run five kilometers, that's like a huge achievement. So I try not to look at people's strivers that have kids and somehow manage to work full-time and still train full-time, I thumbs up to them. This is, to go off on a tangent now, so like Strava and stuff like that and Instagram, like people putting all that stuff on, like, oh, look how many things I've done whilst also being a mom is actually just not that helpful to people. Like, not that everyone, it's like a public service. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) It's this, it's just, it creates this kind of like unrealistic expectation. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like there's nothing else I could possibly be doing right now. And I go to back to work full time on Monday. Hey, you're bouncing on a ball, holding a microphone and your baby recording a podcast. That's That's it. That's plenty. (laughs) (laughs) I get tired and I just have a cat. (laughs) <laughs> a very, very have a cat. Cat, to, to be fair you are juggling a few things gracie yeah yeah amy you so. have sam that's like basically having a dog that's like a baby and a baby <laughs> at the same time you got to take him outside and exercise him otherwise he gets cooped up and starts ripping apart the cushions oh. <laughs> there's actually some, yeah that's not even far he's gone out training now thankfully <laughs> <laughs> it's a me time <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Tour de Swiss, we we covered everything. I think it was a really, really good race. And it kind of we can use it to kind of segue into our other conversation of the day, which is the 2022 World Tour calendar that came out. Not um completely official yet, but as predicted, Ride London has been relegated down in status because of their lack of live coverage. And they've added four races to the world tour. For next year, one of them being Tour de Suisse, which I think is a very good decision um, by the UCI based on the incredible live coverage we had. I mean, we had to start to finish for a couple of the races and 
Um, the race is clearly just really well done, good courses, a great fight. So I'm happy about Tour de Swiss. Omelette Pet Newsblad, which we've talked in the past, is pretty much world tour in all but name. And Tour Down Under, another really, really exciting addition. We haven't had this race for a couple years now because of the pandemic. And I mean, this was one of my favorite races I ever did as a rider because it's so organized and you it's so professionally run. And I think it was only a matter of time until it was added to the world tour. And then finally the UAE tour, which I don't know a ton about. So that's interesting. Uh, (laughs) yeah, four races added to the calendar. I think we've, we've talked at nauseum. That's a saying. Yeah. Um, about how there's too many, too many world tour races and, and them to keep adding more is a, is a decision, but it's hard to argue with Tour de Swiss, Omloop, Het Newsblad, and Tour Down Under being added. Uh, yeah. Because of the quality of the racing and, and like, the coverage and just how well the races are, are done. And so only one race has been relegated, so technically three, three extras now. And Chongming Island is cancelled for this year, so that's kind of like, we won't have those. I think it's a three-day race. We'll have those three race days well, this year. Well, is the UAE tour... Um, <clears throat> so remember when we used to do Tour of Qatar, Gracie, and that was sort of the leg over. Like, say you could do Tour and Under and then go to Qatar and then on to Europe. It was that nice block, and it actually worked really well for people who were targeting spring in particular. Um, I'm guessing UAE, if it's timed well, will be Tour and Under, then people will go across to that tour and then on to onto Europe, have a bit of rest, and then straight into the classics. That that works. That system worked quite well, particularly for the Aussies. Um, years ago, we used to have quite a few Australian riders coming through. Gracie, one of them that did really well in the, the early season stuff and carried through the spring. So it could be a system that works. Obviously, budget, uh, one of the discussions we have had for um, some time is that some of these teams with world tour statuses, maybe they don't quite have the budget uh, they need to be able to do all the races plus pay their riders minimum wage. So it will be interesting to see which teams actually line up for tournament. Under. Of course, the really big ones um, we'll see down there. Do they subsidize it at all? No, the organizers. Um, I think they do. The I think so. Tour of Qatar you used to get your flights paid, I believe, because the race had a lot of money, so teams could justify it. So maybe with UAE, they're going to pay the flights, so that might be the way. I think with the men's teams, they subsidized it, so they would have to do it with the women. Women's teams, which means, well, I mean, we've got two new race directors, so I'm sure that would be something they're pushing for there. Oh my gosh, we should talk about that. We should talk about the new race directors. What is this? Uh, Nettie Edmondson and Carly Taylor are the assistant race directors for the women's race, and they're working alongside Stuart O'Grady. So that should be really exciting. Um, yeah, first two year former getting, racers, obviously, that know women's racing. And, and are yeah. from Adelaide. So you can expect that the course proposals they're going to make are pretty good ones. I think it's a great appointment, perfect people for the job. I think that they they have good work ethic too, so they're not going to, you know, be lazy about it. I think they're going to want to do a really good job and they'll have some great support from the TDU organisation. I had a little bit to do with them this year from a media point of view and as a rider for many years it was such a great run race and then on the other side of the fence I could see a little bit more about how they were doing it and I was even more impressed so yeah I think that they're they're perfect people for the job but they'll also have a lot of good help for them to to make sure that their their first go at something a job like that is you know not a disaster (laughs) And uh, I guess we should talk a little bit about Ride London before we wrap it up because we we did an episode on it and we talked about how the, the there was no live coverage of the first two stages and Tilda talked a little bit about on the ground. So um, I know, Amy, you wrote wrote up the UCI statement about them over the weekend if you want to fill us in. It was quite strongly worded, actually. 
I mean, I can't remember it now exactly, but they were quite like in the beginning of the statement, they were sorry. Yeah, they were a little bit about it, but then they also kind of said it will get relegated unless they can prove that they have live coverage lined up, which is a little bit confusing because it's like, how, what are the parameters with that? Like, what do they have to show? Because like, it's the same as races, like all the way up going, we've got live, it's like the Giro Rosa last year, we've got live coverage, we've got live coverage. And then it's like some, sometimes it's 10K, sometimes it's nothing, sometimes it's 40K. But I mean, it's good that they came out and like, yeah, told them off. Yeah, I think... I don't know. Like it is good to give them the chance, but I think almost you should have to sit a year out if you do do that. Like they should say, okay, yeah, you're relegated for next year, definitely, but feel free to reapply for 2024. Because otherwise, like it's basically meaningless, isn't it? Because I think they will turn around over the summer. I think they said the deadline will be in September to make a decision, and I think they will come back and say, yeah, we've got it lined up because that's what they're saying during the race this year. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, what what was the actual impact of that? They don't actually lose out on anything. Um, and also, yeah, the UCI, they said they it was a strong statement, but also we're now a month on from that race and they didn't really say anything at the time. Um, and everyone was quite annoyed about it at the time and they could have come out at that point. Um, so, yeah, it is good to see them doing something, but I think, I think come September, we'll just be in the same position and they'll be given their license back and... Um, we'll forget about it all. Well, I I tweeted about the um, run up being ahead of the ride uh, ahead of Ride London, and how I was disappointed that the that they were leading up to a race that no one would be able to see. And uh, I was told by people of the run up that they were under the impression there would be live coverage and that they were told there would be live coverage and they didn't know that there wouldn't be live coverage until they'd already started the filming process and it was too late to change which race they were building up to. So, I mean, clearly ride London intended to do live coverage this year or was saying that they were going to have live coverage. But as Tilda said as well, like if a race doesn't have it, they shouldn't be given this like chance to prove for the following year. Cause I mean, they need to be consistent with it. Like the Giro Rosa in 2020 had no live coverage, got relegated, even though the new organisers were saying all along, we'll have live coverage, we'll have live coverage. And they did last year. But that's kind of like the proof is like you, you relegate them to point pro status for a year. If they put on live coverage and prove that they can do it, then you allow them back into the world tour. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, I wonder if if there were some discussions going on that we weren't privy to and if if they had just been relegated, would they have just packed it in and not bothered with the whole thing? But yeah, I think it... But also, it, it, if they did it, that, then... Whatever. <laughs> but it proves more, doesn't it, if you're willing to be relegated to Pro Series and still put the time in for the for the TV, like the Giro did, that you're really showing that you want to be at that level and you want to come back to it. Um, whereas, yeah, I, I think they're just going to basically have no real consequences, except they have to submit a few more pieces of paperwork. If that's because they threw their toys out the cart and threatened to not have the race, then that's also just dumb. Because what is everyone's obsession with world tour status as well? I mean, I'm not. I think part of the problem is as well how we mentioned that this race has been run by the same organizers of the London Marathon. Is that right? So it's not like they're actually cycling people as such. Um, And yes, there is an obsession about the world tour status, but I really do believe if you build a race, and it's a really good race, teams will go um, even if it isn't world tour status. And I think, yeah, the clash with with Turrigan um, was a bit unfortunate because that is a fantastic race, but I guess teams were thinking we're in the UK anyway, this is world tour. Yeah, it was meant to be um, also covered on um, television, but it wasn't. So that's why they all went across to the UK. Logistically, it's... It makes more sense to just do two tours in the same place. Um, I feel like races should have to like be pro series and prove that they can accommodate for a world tour license before they're able to get the world 100%. tour license. Like 100%. Tour de Suisse has done it perfectly. Question. 
Yeah, 100%. Tour de Swiss is like, look at the live coverage that they provided us this weekend. They've proved that they deserve to be world tour and other races that are just popping up and like have the money to be like, hey, we want to be world tour, make us world tour, but haven't actually proved that they are able to pull it off. Like, yeah, it's like how teams before this year, teams had to be a pro, pro team before they were able to apply for world tour. I, I still think that should be a rule and I'm disappointed that they got away with it, but it should apply to races as well. Yeah. And it's not just about the live coverage, of course. It's it's actually just putting on a really great race, good courses, a good mix. This is a discussion we've had about the Jura before is sometimes the course design um, for the, the 10 days isn't like last year. It was basically won and lost in the first two days. Um Things like that need to be considered. So race directors, all those things, accommodation, um, logistics, all of it. I feel like Tour Down Under is another one that they maybe have not have had live coverage, but they have proved that they're able to to pull off a world tour event with the way that the races run and, and the courses and everything. Yeah, and that's that's a race that actually start, started off as an NRS race, which in Australia is a National Road Series race years ago. I think um, actually the, the very beginnings of it was 2010 as a couple of criteriums, and they've slowly built from there. And now we're at 2022, 2023, they'll be world tour status. So they've been building on this for, I believe, 13 years. And with that and Cadell's also together, it's kind of... It's a great little chunk. Sorry, Gracie. I was just saying they did actually have some really great coverage this year, despite it being a, just a, a national level race. <laughs> and I mean, we're, we're biased as well because I think, um, well, it doesn't even come into being biased, but it's just such a great opportunity for the Oceana region to have an opportunity to to line up against some of the top teams. So hopefully, we see. The Australian national team, I don't think with World Tour races, do national teams get slots? I don't think so with World Tour races. Yeah. Which is, yeah, kind of a bummer because we saw, like, yeah, the Swiss team was so so great this weekend for the race. I mean, they just made the race more exciting. So that is kind of a bummer when a team goes World Tour or a race goes World Tour. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Time will tell. It's about time will tell. And we've got this weekend coming up the Lotto Belgium tour, which will be on GCN. So people can watch that. And then we'll be back next week to talk about the upcoming Giordana. We're like, yeah, we're into the summer. The summer is upon us. It's well, hot. Truly. Before we yeah. know it, it will be the Tour de France, Femmes, Vec Swift. Very exciting. All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. And thanks, you all, for joining me to talk about women's bike racing. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.